What is a child? What are the words that you would use to describe or to define a child? Would you say that a child is a small person, a young human, a child is offspring, or a child is a handful, a child is innocent? What other words come to mind for you? Within the last couple of weeks, there was a a word used publicly to describe children that you might not expect. A word that actually dehumanizes a child. This word was used by two different people, two different situations, but within about a week of each other, and it was reported in the news. I'll tell you what it is coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Rayner. Hello once again, and glad to have you here for this hour of Spiritual Direction together as we try and understand what God is saying to us in our lives, how God might be leading, looking at different aspects of what the church teaches and uh, and how, how we can grow in relationship with God. So two different times this word that I was referencing, it was used. Uh, the first one I'll start, it's actually the second time it happened. That was one week ago today, and it was spoken by President Joe Biden at the State of the Union Address. And the president was speaking about airlines, actually, at this point, uh, speaking about their hidden fees, especially when it comes to being prohibitive for families to travel because of the expense. And Biden, he said, baggage fees are bad enough. Airlines can't just treat your child like a piece of baggage. And he's right. Children are people. Just because they're young or because they're a minor, it doesn't mean they're any less human or, you know, any less than any other person. And I wish that this line of thinking would extend all the way to the unborn child for our president, but I digress. That's a a different discussion for another day. But So that was the second occurrence of a child being referred to as baggage or luggage. The first time, it was a little over a week prior to the State of the Union address. This was on Sunday, January 29th. A man named Mark Lowen, he's a correspondent for the BBC in Rome, And he tweeted a picture of himself and his partner, his husband. They were holding their new daughter. And the caption for the tweet said, After six weeks in wonderful Canada and tearful farewells to our incredible surrogate and friend, it's time to go home to Lisbon with our new family member, our most beautiful hand luggage. And they're referring to their daughter. They're again calling a child luggage. But this use was a little different because it acknowledges what really happened in this process of surrogacy. Um, Mark Lowen and his partner, they had to pay to acquire a child. You know, neither of them able to give birth to a child. They purchased a child. And I don't mean that to sound harsh. I'm just being very honest. It started off with the purchase of the eggs from a woman, then paying for a lab where they did the work of in vitro fertilization, and then they paid for a doctor to implant the fertilized embryo into the surrogate. And then the surrogate is a woman who's been paid for the use of her body to grow that baby until it's born. So there's this massive price tag associated with surrogacy. But is that a problem, or is that the only problem? If science allows us to safely achieve the results of a newborn baby through the help of a surrogate mother— Is there anything wrong with this? You know, there's a great line in the movie Jurassic Park where Dr. Ian Malcolm, he's played by Jeff Goldblum, and he's giving this warning about the quick progress that they've achieved there in the theme park 
with all of the, the live and the very quite dangerous dinosaurs that are there. And when the park's creator, John Hammond, he defends their work by saying, wait, you know, our, our, our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. That's when Ian Malcolm gives the very, very wise response. Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Well, today is Valentine's Day, St. Valentine's Day, a day where romance and love are celebrated through giving flowers and cards, chocolates, going out for dinner, all of that and more. And of course, the natural path of romantic love, romantic affection, uh, typically is going to lead to marriage. And out of the marriage, a man and a woman will usually have children. But then there are a lot of times where a couple, that husband and wife, they're unable to have children. And that can be a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, whether it's the inability to get pregnant at all or maybe there's been repeated miscarriages or other circumstances. So when a man and a woman love each other, when they're married, they want to have a family, but there is that difficulty in having children. What are the options? More importantly, what are the right options? What's the right path? And taking that wisdom from that line in Jurassic Park, well, just because you can do something, does that mean you should do something? Does it make it free game? What does the Catholic Church teach on some of these options for having children when you're facing infertility? And then why does the Church teach what it does teach? Well, this is what we want to discuss today on The Inner Life. And our spiritual director for the hour, I'm very glad to welcome back Father Carter Griffin. Father Griffin is a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and the rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary there. He's also the author of the book Cross-Examined Catholic Responses to the World's Questions from uh, that's available from Emmaus Road Publishers, and he deals with uh, a lot of different questions along the lines of what we're going to be talking about today, so I very highly recommend that book. Uh, Father Griffin, welcome back to The Inner Life. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Josh. Good to be back. Well, so um, I also want to give a brief disclaimer here, since we're going to be talking about a number of things related to marriage and conception, human sexuality. There's a possibility that some of the points that we discussed today might be a little above or inappropriate for younger ears. And since this is a show of spiritual direction, we really want to focus more on the aspects of understanding the Church's teaching on the subject and how we can apply that rather than specific methodology or anything along those lines. But that said, if you are listening right now and you have your child there with you, I just want you to be aware of the direction of this hour's conversation. And if you need to come back and listen to the podcast later, you can find it. uh, It'll be posted in about an hour from now at our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. Of course, you can share the episode there as well if you have somebody else who you you think might need to hear this conversation. But uh, Father... Before we get into some of the questions of maybe surrogacy, in vitro fertilization, other options that are out there for, uh, you know, facing infertility or sterility, maybe we can start off by just discussing marriage itself for a moment here. And it's one of our seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. How can we look at marriage with kind of a proper understanding and the impact that it has on a husband and wife in their relationship to God? And why is it a sacrament at all? Sure. 
Well, it's, um, of course, even before it's a sacrament, it's a natural bond that you find in, in pretty much every society. Right. Um, and it's, and, and, and sort of, it's seen as the basic building block of, of any society in the sense that this is where you have a, nat- a, a, a permanent bond uh, between a man and a woman uh, in which they remain faithful to each other and, and typically exclusive uh, in their in, in monogamous uh, marriages and are open to life, which is, of course, the future of that civilization as well. And, and it's, the, it's always been seen, I think, in, again, virtually every society as the ideal environment, the best environment in which to raise children. That uh, beautiful natural bond was raised by our Lord to the <clears throat> to the state of to the status of a sacrament and endowing it with a special grace uh, to help that couple live that natural bond uh, in such a way that is supernaturally powerful and pleasing to the Lord, meritorious and one that is ordered to not just their good but the good of the children and and even the common good. So it's marriage and priesthood are the two sacraments ordered uh, to the common good. And, and that means also the church, right? The common good, and most especially means the church, that they are Christian parents are called to uh, raise children, if that be God's will for them, uh, in such a way that they can receive the grace of, the grace of redemption and become, and become children of the, of the kingdom of God. And so there's a, there's a supernatural ordering as well as a natural ordering. And it has a very powerful connection, although it's certainly to the mutual upbuilding of the spouses, um, that's never separated from the overflow of that, of that union, which is ordinarily, as you said earlier, uh, children. And so the idea of marriage not being connected to children is something radically and utterly foreign to basically every natural (laughs) and certainly Christian understanding of marriage that has ever existed before. So we're living in very strange times in which a great deal of confusion about marriage is out there. But if you actually get to its core, um, it's something extraordinarily beautiful. Well, you know, I think one of the... the normal questions that we hear very regularly in our culture, and this probably is, it helps feed some of that confusion, is, okay, you know, why should it matter, or why would anybody care what happens in the privacy of my bedroom? You know, if there's two consenting adults, right? Um, you know, should should this really concern anybody outside of me and that other person, as long as we are okay with it. Why, why does the Church say, well, no, that, that's, that's not an accurate view of human sexuality? Well, I think for two main reasons. One is that there is really no such thing as a private sin. If something is sinful and it's, and it's harmful for that person's relationship with God, then it's harmful for them, but it's also harmful for the, for, for the whole Church, right? And so that, that connection that we each have to each other and, and even to other human beings. I mean, sin always breaks down communion, uh, ecclesiological communion, or else just our own social communion. And so there really isn't, and we see this all the time, you know, something may seem to be private, but in fact, it ends up, you know, hurting the, their family, <clears throat> their loved ones, or the wider culture. So that's, I mean, at a basic level, there is really no such thing as a private sin. That doesn't mean that governments should necessarily regulate every sin, of course not. Um, but there is kind of a larger, but then more specifically about these sins, and especially the sins of the, of the marital act, is that it has an enormous impact on the rest of us. It has an impact on the rest of the, their family, on the wider community, on our entire culture. And so there is uh, there's a reason why the state has supported um, marriage and family with things like tax breaks. And it's not because, you know, well-meaning, you know, Christian congressmen wanted to reward people who got married. It was because those children and that, I mean, those families and the children that they produce are the future of our, of our country, of our society, right. of the world. 
So there's always this connection to the common good. And so what happens in the bedroom connected to the common good very strongly is why there are these positive uh, benefits given by the government for, the, for those who are married. And that's where the confusion steps in today. And I would just say real quick um, is that I do think that there is, there is reason and there is an understandable cause of the confusion in that the way for the last several decades we've been living marriage increasingly childless and increasingly open to divorce and everything like that, we had ended up essentially turning marriage into simply a romantic relationship between two consenting adults, you know, in which they get tax breaks. And a lot of people were looking at that and saying, well, then why can't that be two men? Why can't that be two women? And it's understandable why they would, but it's because we had lost this real deeper and more noble understanding of marriage uh, some decades ago. And that's the call is to re- is to, is to recover that. Well, and, and, you know, maybe later in the hour we can talk about artificial contraception, which really feeds into that mm-hmm. disconnect of what marriage originally was intended to be and and how it should still be. Um, but when there is that separation of the, the, the purpose of having children and we say, well, human sexuality, it, it, it can simply be unitive and we take away that procreative aspect to it. Uh, we find ourselves in an area where I think you're exactly right. I, you know, uh, coming from you and I are both are both uh, converts to the Catholic Church, and I know for me, when I got married, I wasn't Catholic, and the idea that you know there are people who don't use contraception. Well, wouldn't you want to plan? Wouldn't you want to be responsible? I mean, that is the overwhelming mentality of people outside of the Catholic Church, I think, by Absolutely. and large. And, yeah, it's like, and, you're not use, it's like you won't use antibiotics or something. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's seen as just crazy, right? Yeah. And yet, that's a new idea. I mean, it's, contraception up until, as you know, until 1930 was basically everyone agreed, every Christian agreed that it was, it was clearly against God's plan, you know? Well, it didn't take us very long to get here, Father, you know, to where everybody is is on the opposite end of that, that viewpoint now. Um, you know, one of the things that—so, uh, yeah, let, let's, let's get to contraception in a minute here. I also want to open up the phone lines as we're talking about today, uh, you know, here on this Valentine's Day, human sexuality, what the Church teaches regarding marriage, um, especially maybe in those areas of infertility. Maybe you and your spouse have had difficulties being able to start a family, and you have some questions about what the Church teaches in this regard. Maybe you have a question on what the Church teaches regarding artificial contraception or natural family planning, you're welcome to call in and speak with Father, Father Carter Griffin. Our phone number into the studio here is 888-914-9149, uh, Father, I began this, uh, the, the hour with a story of two men who wanted a child, and they went through the route of surrogacy. And again, on the surface, it might seem like, well, this is a viable option. The technology exists, so why not? You know, what is the problem here? Can you kind of walk us through what the Church says regarding surrogacy? Sure. Um, and of course, surrogacy is something that presumes uh, in vitro fertilization first. So in some right. ways, it's and we can get more into that maybe in a sure. minute here. But yeah. sure. So in addition to all of the moral complications and, and challenges of, of IVF. Um, you know, surrogacy, I, mainly the, the issue of sur- surrogacy has to do with uh, kind of the, the, the well-being of the child, first of all, right? The child that, is, that has 
sort of it's the multiplying of parental roles, right? The child is, and 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 we see now more and more clearly as these children are growing up, becoming young adults, that there is a tremendous conflict and inner turmoil with themselves, knowing that they were, you know, often conceived with one woman's egg, you know, uh, maybe gestated in another woman, you know, there was a sperm of one man, and they may be raised by two different people altogether, and it ends up being very dehumanizing in that whole kind of network and. So we're subjecting these children without, obviously, any choice on their part to what can become a very complicated um, moral existence and, and a lot of self-questioning and doubts and where are my origins. We, I think we, f- we forget how important our origins are and to know that I came from this mother and this father, this family, this country, this culture, and we're really disassociating those children from all of that. The other half of it is, I think, just about the women who are surrogates. Um, it's often very exploitative, uh, often a very vulnerable, financially challenged women, often overseas. Um, you know, and there's huge risks that are involved for these women. It's a very impersonal and extraordinarily lucrative industry that is sort of, you, you know, frankly, using these individuals as human, um, uh, you know, gestators. Uh, and so, and, and then there's all these questions about what, what if the child uh, appears to be imperfect, you know, or it seems to have some kind of anomaly, then is the woman going to be pressured to have an abortion? So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, lot of issues, and that's all on top of the very significant, serious issues with IVF itself. Uh, before we maybe go too far into this conversation, too, um, it might be good to address and clarify if someone is listening right now and they've had a child via surrogacy or in vitro fertilization or if there you know if if there's one of these other issues that we talk about during this hour and there's something morally problematic that does not mean that their child is anything less than a gift from god and, and maybe you can talk to that for a moment father Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important because this is an extraordinarily sensitive, I mean, we're talking about often extremely well-intentioned people right. who, are right. n- who are not able to conceive naturally. And so, and, and everyone around them simply says, well, why not do, why not try IVF? I mean, it's a very common, it's a very common procedure. And so it, it's so important to remember that um, a child is a child is a child, you know, and a, chi- and a child is a, is a, is a precious, a precious gift from God and a blessing. Um, a beloved son or daughter of God destined for eternal life. Uh, there is no such thing as a child, you know, the, the, the beginnings somehow, even if they come through sinful ways, and there are all kinds of ways that we, can, that we can tamper with the origins of a child, but none of it affects the dignity of the child. Um, and very often, I think couples later on, maybe they begin to realize a little bit of what has happened. Maybe there has been some selective reductions, you know, in the course of the IVF, which you know, we'll talk about. You know, and the parents oftentimes experience, hopefully experience, you know, a sense of repentance and then and then experience the mercy of God, you know, and rejoice in the fact that even, you know, that God can write straight with crooked lines, so to speak, and and that God is going to bring beautiful things into the world, sometimes even through and despite our sinfulness. Right? His, his sovereignty is not shortened. His arm is not shortened and his sovereignty is not limited by our own sinfulness. So to recognize that, that yes, God will work through mysterious ways. It doesn't mean that it's what should have happened. It doesn't mean that well, that makes it all okay, but it does, and it doesn't mean that it's not sinful. It's not, or it's not very, with very serious, significant moral problems. But it does mean that mercy is always available to me, and my child is still a gift and a blessing. Right. Well, and especially as you said, you know, if, if there's people who are well-intentioned, there, and there was ignorance exactly. of, of yeah. the moral or the ethical implications of our actions. It's not to ignore those those implications, but at the same time. 
God wants to forgive us, he wants to heal us, and, and move forward and love us right here and right now. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Again, talking with Father Carter Griffin, and if you would like to call in and speak with Father Griffin, the phone number into the studio is 888-914-9149. Talking about a lot of different things related to fertility, human sexuality today here on The Inner Life. Maybe you have a question about what the Church teaches regarding uh, marriage, regarding options for you and your spouse if you are facing infertility, you're having that difficulty starting a family, uh, questions about surrogacy or in vitro fertilization. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment and take more. Uh, take some of your phone calls coming up in just a moment here. This is The Inner Life, and you're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. Talking about marriage about human sexuality, and a lot of the different moral and ethical questions that come up regarding having a family, what the Church teaches when it comes to surrogacy, in vitro fertilization, artificial contraception. Maybe you have a question on one of those different topics, and you'd like to call in and speak with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, 888 You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Uh, Father, before we go to the phones, I wanted to follow up uh, here quickly. Back on that issue of surrogacy, you had said, you know, there is the... Um, the woman who is the surrogate, a lot of times it can be a woman who is in need of financial help. You know, there's kind of that pressure that can be there um, that such a big price tag is attached to it. But what if a woman is willing to be a surrogate in more of a selfless and altruistic sense? She's not worried about being paid. She wants to just help out a couple who is unable to have their own children. Uh, why doesn't the altruism there cancel out some of the problems inherent with surrogacy? Right. Well, I mean, I guess more, more, it's sort of a question of, um, you know, kind of consequentialism that the ends don't justify the means, right? It may be sure. well-intentioned, and a couple may be well-intentioned. The surrogate may be well-intentioned. But it still doesn't change the fact that it's, first of all, depends on IVF, which itself is wrong. But also, it is kind of dehumanizing for the child and, and often sets up a very difficult kind of future for the child. So I think there are a lot, it, there's, a, there's an integrity and a beauty of, of the way that children are brought into the world. We even call the word procreation, which is different than, you know, what we usually use for animals. We say reproduction. But, but, but human beings procreate because they share in God's creative power. And so there's a sacredness to the way a child with an immortal soul is brought into the world. And I think more than anything else, the church wants to respect that sacredness for the sake of the child as well as for the sake of the parents. Well, and so you've referenced a few times now there are problems inherent with in vitro fertilization. And so, you know, again, I, I want to reemphasize something we just said in the last segment in case somebody joined us here. If this is something that, you know, where you have had a child via in vitro fertilization, as we're talking about this, this is not us trying to, you know, say, well, you're wrong and you're condemned and, you know, you're a horrible person. There's nothing of that nature. We're trying to simply 
bring clarity to the topic of human sexuality and educate so that people are able to make wise and morally upright decisions in the future. Uh, but as we said before, you know, if there is something you've done in your past, you, especially if it was done from a standpoint of not knowing, just being ignorant of what the Church teaches on a subject, I want to reemphasize what Father Griffin said before, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first segment as he was talking about the mercy of God that is available, and you know, don't let that be a place where you're worried that God's going to beat you up. Don't beat yourself up over it. God wants to forgive you and heal you and move forward. So uh, with that kind of understanding, Father, can you kind of explain some of the problems with in vitro fertilization, the whole process? Sure. And just to make sure everyone understands the terminology, in vitro fertilization simply means in fertilization in a glass. So the idea is that babies are brought into being in glass dishes. Uh, and that's kind of the, probably the most common way that, that, uh, that couples will try to overcome infertility today. And there's, there's several things that are wrong with this. The first is, is there is a dignity in the sexual act itself, as I just mentioned a moment ago. And, and the church understands that under these two rubrics of sort of, it has a unitive as well as a procreative. It has, you know, for the love of the spouses as well as being open to contraception. And, and those two go together. And, and that's not just kind of a theoretical or theological kind of point. It's a very important, very human point that these two go together. And when they're, when they're ripped, ripped apart for one reason or another and um, in the case of IVF, you know, the unitive is detached. It just sort of focuses, you know, the, 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 the procreation becomes a medical act. Um, but oftentimes it's the opposite, you know, that's through contraception or masturbation, homosexual acts. You know, in these cases, the, the procreative uh, is detached, right? And so, um, so the first is the dignity of the sexual act itself and the couple. The second is the dignity of the child, right? That as sort of similar to what we're talking about with surrogacy, that you know, children have a right to be conceived in a, in a natural way through the physical expression of love, you know, a husband and a wife. And so rather than having technicians in a lab um, do that, which is, I know, kind of hard to hear, but that, that's kind of the, that's the reality of what's, what's happens, what happens there. And so for the sake of the child, for the sake of the spouse, for the sake of the child, I think another reason, the, fourth, the third reason maybe why the um, IVF is wrong is because very often it includes some uh, abortions, selective abortions that... Um, sort of leftover ones, um, and these are, they, they call this sometimes reduction, you know, the reduction of abortion, uh, reduction of the, the embryos. Um, sometimes these are frozen in liquid nitrogen um, for future implantation, you know, or experimentation. Um, so it's, a, it's just a very, uh, it's, it's sort of demeaning to the, to the children, however small they may be. And then the last thing is that um, it can contribute, and this is kind of the broader one, but it can, I think it's true, it can contribute to an understanding of children, similar to what you were saying at the beginning, not as baggage so much as commodities, as something that are sort of produced for our needs, you know, and, and, and that sort of, that sort of, that mentality of, of it even leads to things in, in some extreme cases now, which will probably be not so extreme in the future of, you know, so-called designer babies, you know, um, Right, uh, the human sort of genome since it's been mapped and all of those things. Exactly, can you can up. choose different yeah. traits, the color, you know, all these different things, and then, and then also the idea that maybe leftover embryos would be used as uh, as material, that maybe even be allowed to be born, and then use you know use as sort of anyway. There's just a, there's a really dark dystopian future that could result from that, but all that sort of a lot of that has begun in the IVF uh, sort of commodification of of children, and so 
it's that's a lot to hear, and especially if somebody's been you know had this or been you know has friends or family members. But it's it's important to hear the truth. An old spiritual director of mine used to say, "The truth is never a problem," you know, and it may be hard to hear, but it's always better to know the truth, and then we can, with God's mercy, you know, move forward. Okay, Father Carter Griffin, our spiritual director, and our phone number to call in and speak with Father eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. And uh, Father, let's go to Elizabeth, who's been holding listening in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Elizabeth, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Griffin. Hi, Father. Um, I was calling the question about infertility. Uh, We have two living children. We've lost 13 children to miscarriage. We have a failed adoption. We've tried foster care, um, and we have not been successful in adoption or having a third biological child. And I just had a couple questions as far as, you know, where we kind of go from here. It's been a very hard cross to bear and accept that perhaps we will only have our two living children in this world. Um, We wanted more than anything to have a large family. And so if you have any resources to kind of understand why this happens and kind of how to process it and any advice on where we could kind of go from here, I'd appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, thank you, Elizabeth, for the call and and um, and for sharing that. I mean, it's it's a very real, it's a very real, very neurologic kind of uh, pain, you know, that an agony that a lot of couples are experiencing today, a huge number of couples. And by the grace of God, you've had two children, and and but I mean to have lost thirteen children and tried so many other ways, I can just I can hear the pain, you know, and it's and it's so and it's so uh, it's so important that that you know and that other couples know that the church accompanies you in that and that it's it's not it's not as if you know saying what is wrong with IVF means that everything else is just supposed to be easy it's not um there are certainly ways that catholic couples can can try to conceive you know and i'm sure you've you've tried those maybe others haven't and just just to kind of give the synopsis of that you know that basically any treatment that assists the marital act is is acceptable you know and those that replace the act are the ones that are objectionable so trying to basically restore the natural capacity to conceive children. And there, there can be all kinds of physical and, and uh, issues that may cause that. And so addressing those first, sometimes OBGYNs will simply refer couples immediately to, to IVF or to other procedures that are not acceptable to the Catholic view without even, you know, without even going through some of those other, other ways that maybe couples can be helped. And very often infertile couples are able to be helped. Um, there's one called uh, Fem Health uh, with two M's, F-E-M-M, health.org. And then uh, NAPRO, of course, or NAPRO Technology is another famous one. Um, but, but here's the thing, like sometimes that won't, you know, and, and I think what that is to kind of pan out a little bit and see from a larger perspective that the children that, that couples have are not primarily their children. Uh, your two children, Elizabeth, are not primarily yours. Uh, they're primarily God's, right? And, and to know that you have been entrusted and that beautiful entrustment of God uh, to raise these children and to raise them to become brothers and sisters of yours in Christ. And that's an enormous, that's an awesome responsibility that he's given you and a beautiful blessing and a gift. Um, at the same time, because they're God's, you know, sometimes he will choose not to give couples children, uh, biological children. Um, and when that happens, although there's still enormous suffering, um, that suffering, like any suffering, can and should be embraced with serenity, you know, united to the sufferings of the Lord, but also to recognize that God calls all of us to 
paternity and maternity, finding ways that God is calling you as a couple to give of yourself, to give life to others in, in 101 ways that we can, you know, a thousand and one ways we can all think of, to know that, that there is never a barren Catholic couple, right? That, that every Catholic couple is fruitful and can be fruitful by the grace of God. Very often, usually with biological children and in other ways, sometimes without biological children, but in other ways. And finding those ways of giving life in you know, I mean, just some very obvious examples and, as you know, teachers and big brothers and big sisters and, you know, temporary foster care, all these different ways that, that couples can give life to others. And above all, among their friends and among their, the children of their friends. Um, so there's always opportunities. No one needs to be closed in on themselves. And it certainly sounds like you have been anything but. Uh, and the Lord is, is sees that and, and loves that and rewards that. Uh, and to know that just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, and sometimes, you know, these are hard things. And, and the desires that you had, those dreams that you had of a large family um, have had to be put on the back burner. Instead, that large family might look a little bit different than, than you expected, but it will still be uh, enormously large if we're faithful. So that's the best I can do, Elizabeth, but it's a, I, I just a thank you for your witness. You know, one other thing, Elizabeth, that I, I would share with you is just my wife and I in our own um, role as parents, at one point we had looked at adopting as well. Um, and we already had a fairly large family at the time, uh, eight children. And as we were looking into adoption, it was really on my wife's heart that maybe we'd look at adopting a sibling pair of children. You know, the, it's so much harder to place siblings that have no parents that are that are orphans rather than a single child. And we were going through the process, and we got to a certain point where we, we realized, okay, we don't qualify. And it was mainly just because of our family size, because of the number of children that we had in our house. And the, the state laws didn't allow for you. You had to go through a foster program first before you could adopt, and they wouldn't allow fostering if you had six or more children in your home. Didn't matter, you know, size of the house, if you had enough room, didn't matter income level, any of those things. So we were just kind of out and we said, huh, you know, why, why would this, why would we be stalled here if we have that desire and that heart to help some kids who need a home? But we didn't know that a couple of years later, we would give birth to a special needs son and our, our youngest, he has Down syndrome. And it requires a lot more attention and a lot more care. God knew that was in store for us. And so I, I, I look at that and I say, well, God God knew what was going to be required of us. Could we have handled, you know, adopting children? Yeah, that along with a special needs child, I'm sure we could have. Um, but I know there's just from us having friends who were adopted growing up, as well as knowing parents with adopted children, there can a lot of times be other uh, emotional and um, uh, mental challenges with those who are adopted. You know, they can go through severe depression. There can be a lot of other issues there. And so uh, I, I kind of look at that and say, I think God was just allowing us to be able to focus our energy rather than feeling like we're overwhelmed. He, he knew what we could handle. Um, I, I don't know what your situation is, Elizabeth. I just share that from my own perspective, our, our, our own experience there. But I think that's also good to keep in mind, you know, right here and right now, Father, we, we kind of get our, our mindset on one thing and we can get tunnel vision and we don't know what God has in store for us in the future. 
No, I think that's exactly right. That's a great uh, insight, um, and and it may it may be something very sort of more obvious, like in your case and others. You know, there's there are going to be mysteries. I mean, suffering always involves a mystery, uh, and and no matter how many ways we can understand it and try to kind of get behind the get behind the <clears throat> you know the, the mystery of suffering, it, there's always going to be an element that we're not going to understand. And yet, with faith, and God gives us the power in baptism of our faith. With faith and with hope, we are able to to believe, you know, and and to hope that God has a plan. He knows what He's doing. He knows what He's about. Nothing is in vain, um, even the suffering. And sometimes, maybe especially the suffering. As we look back on our lives, it may be those are the moments when, if we responded well, we drew closer to each other and closer to God, uh, precisely through that, precisely through that suffering. So it doesn't explain it away, but at least as Christians, we do have a sense that suffering has meaning, even if we can't understand it all the time. Our spiritual director on The Inner Life today is Father Carter Griffin. He is the rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary in Washington, D.C., and we're taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149 as we talk about infertility, about human sexuality, what the Church teaches regarding marriage. Maybe you and your spouse are having difficulty starting a family. You have some questions about what the Church teaches regarding uh, help for those issues with infertility. Maybe you have a question on artificial contraception or natural family planning. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Griffin, 888-914-9149, or email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Pat, we'll take your call coming up next here. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Back to the inner life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, a big thank you to those of you last week who helped us during our pledge drive. Needed to raise three million dollars, raised a little over three point one million, and that was from over fifteen thousand different pledges, different people stepping forward to help make sure Relevant Radio is able to continue broadcasting. Uh, in, in your market all around the world through our streaming on our website, relevantradio.com, or through the Relevant Radio app. Of course, you know, our needs are ongoing. So if you didn't make a pledge last week, you can still help us out with a financial gift. And you can do that, again, through our website, through the Relevant Radio app, or you can call 877-291-0123. Uh, but again, if you if you made that donation last week, thank you so much for being generous and helping us here. And uh, thankfully, um, we have so many people who are supporting Relevant Radio that uh, we're, <laughs> we're looking good to be able to be here for not only months but years to come with your your continued support. Please say a prayer of support for Relevant Radio as well, if, if you would. Um, also, uh, talking today about human sexuality, about what the Church teaches regarding marriage, contraception, in vitro fertilization, so many different aspects here. And I know we only have an hour. There's so many different things we'd like to get to. We're going to try and uh, cover as much ground as we can here before the end of the hour, speaking with Father Carter Griffin, the rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary, and the phone number into the studio if you have a question, 888-914-9149. Father Pat has been very patiently holding in Michigan. Pat, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air. Okay, thank you. I appreciate taking the call. Um, 
I have uh, an extended family member that I acquired through marriage. She uh, lost her mother when she was young, so we're pretty close. Um, she got married in her middle to, say, the middle 30s, was having trouble conceiving, and she did have some medical issues along with that. Well, she and her husband, both Catholic, um, went through the process of harvesting eggs. Uh, they harvested the eggs, and all that they harvested, there were nine of them, all were fertilized. Okay, they uh, had only one egg implanted first time it took. They had a beautiful little boy. And they are planning on having two more children. So the issue is, and I we have talked about it at length, her and I, what becomes of the other six fertilized eggs? <laughs> Pat, um, can you give me a hard question? Uh, <laughs> that's, that is the million-dollar question, and we're just not sure. I mean, there are good people on all sides of this. Um, and, you know, it's a, again, we're, we're talking with people oftentimes who, with the best of intentions, have done this and then are kind of now looking and sort of saying, well, now how do we deal with the kind of the consequences of these decisions that we've made in the past? I would say that, you know, I think the most reliable thinkers who have really studied this matter have, you know, because some will say, uh, you know, that they should be all implanted, you know, and, and that, you know, if there are nines fertilized and there should be nine children, others would say the one can, you know, basically ask surrogates, you know, to, to, to do so. Um, but I think probably the, the most reliable opinions would say uh, that, that they should be allowed to have a natural death, you know, which is to say not sort of frozen indefinitely, not, not compounding, in a sense, compounding the, the, um, the evil of IVF by, by adding further, um, you know, by adding further complications downstream, so to speak. Um, but, you know, now that these are children, small, small children, but children, um, but if they're not able to be, if they're not able to be, to, to be right, to be born in a normal way, then, then, you know, you just allow them, allow the fertilized eggs to die. Um, and I, and while I, I would want to see the sort of the, some of the details, it, I would say that that probably would go for, the, for also the two that they're still planning, which is, I know, would be difficult for them to hear. Um, but because, you know, we don't add, you don't want to add more moral gravity to something that's already happened, uh, and that the encouragement would be for them to pursue other ways of um, obtaining treatments for their infertility. Um, so that, I think, would be as difficult as it is. You know, we're, we're trying to now deal with the consequences of a very complicated and very problematic technology. Uh, but that, that would, I think, be the right answer. So then, you know, if there's a couple who says, you know, not, not in the same realm of surrogacy we were talking about earlier, but if they say, well, rather than having these frozen embryos, these babies— being discarded, you know, that, that natural death that you're talking about in that state, um, for them to say, well, we would like to be able to offer that surrogacy, you know, there, there's, there's that desire to want to save that life, that might not be the right road for that, that, per, that couple dealing with infertility? 
Right, right. It's it's one of these situations where it's sort of there's uh, there's allowing uh, something bad to happen, allowing someone to die, and also, but then taking part in something which itself is is mistaken and, and immoral, you know. And so that's where there, I think I think there are valid you know real discussions going on about this. Um, it's just a very complicated, morally complicated yeah. issue. But I think at the end of the day, you, you are doing another thing that is immoral on top of what has already been done. And that would be, you know, you never intentionally do something wrong, even for a good end. Uh, this is also one of those where, you know, we, we run into this quite often. Um, you know, if this is a situation and you're listening right now and you're in, it's always better rather than listening to, you know, quick sound bites that we're giving on the radio, as much as we want to try and cover here, to be able to seek out a spiritual director on your own, to be able to have more time to get into the specifics of your own scenario, your own situation there. Um, to, and, to, and, add, and to add to that, Josh, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful resource online, uh, National Catholic Bioethics Center, and they yeah. even have free, free consultation. And so that might be also a route. But I agree with you. Really, all of these cases, there's, there's always circumstances that have to be looked at. You know, I mean, there are clear right and wrong that can never be done. But there are other circumstances that also need to be looked at. And that needs to be done face to face, I think, with somebody. I, I wanted to go back to something that you said a little earlier about when we look at in vitro fertilization. And it's uh, that the child can be seen rather than, um, you know, the the natural outcome of the unity of the husband and wife. It can become more of a case of a child as a commodity. And I, I wanted to give you just a moment here to talk about how we should see children really in, in their totality as a gift, you know, not, not that we have a right, even though, you know, a husband and a wife are married and there is that natural expectation of children, but you don't have a right to children. Children really are a gift from God. Exactly. You know, and a gift is something that is freely given and freely received. Otherwise, it's a transaction, not a gift. And so to be freely given by God is, is his goodness and to be freely received by us is our response to that gift. Um, and, and, and what that does is it, it emphasizes kind of the, in, the, it, the dignity of the child, even apart from his parents, right? That he or she is, is, is beloved and precious in God's eyes, apart from whether that child is, is desired by the couple, apart from how old that child is, whether the child is three minutes old or 30 years old, uh, apart from whether that child happens to be born or not, uh, whether he or she is in perfect health. Right, that, that is something radically free about God's gift and radically free about how we receive it. So when we start to sort of <clears throat> kind of put our hand into it in a very strong way and we start to choose when and where and how, uh, even doing things apart from the sexual act and doing things that, you know, then, then it, further tampering with it, maybe, you know, selective reductions if they're unhealthy or changing different genetic traits. I mean, it, it leads to this understanding that it's no longer a gift. It's, it's something that I'm producing. And that's not good for the parents, it's not good for the child, it's not good for the larger society either. So I think these are where we have to be very conscious that the IVF, I, I listed as the fourth reason why IVF is wrong, but in some, ways it's the most, in some ways it's the most important because it's the one that is affecting our entire approach to other human beings. Um, when we start to see our own children as commodities, it's going to be very hard to, to see anybody else as anything less, you know, or as, as anything yeah. more. Well, and, um, and, and, you know, we're down to our last few minutes here, but I also wanted to go back to something we touched on really briefly at the beginning of the hour, and that is artificial contraception, which is an underlying cause that feeds that kind of attitude. Maybe you can speak here in our, our few remaining minutes 
about the problems with artificial contraception, how it, it separates the unitive and the procreative aspects of of the marital act, and really, it gives us this warped, this this uh, wrong view of what human sexuality is. Right, and you know, I think the the unitive and procreative is is often brought up, and it's and rightfully so. It's in the catechism, but sometimes they're brought up in such a way that it's almost like we just have to have, we have two check boxes in every sexual act, and you know, you just have to check both of them. But in fact, it's it's not that way. It's that it's a single human act of love. And that love is, in a way that echoes actually the love of the, of the Trinity, that love is inherently fruitful, right? That it is ordered to something beyond the two, right? So that the two generate the third. So the unitive, in a sense, overflows into the procreative. It's not that one can be separate from the other. It's just that, in a, in a way, when one is separate from the other, they both go. Uh, and that's the real danger here, is that the very integrity of the sexual act itself is compromised when these two things are, are, not, are not there. And so to see the dignity and the beauty of the sexual act as something that, 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 takes, that takes a share in God's own creation, we call it procreation, um, is something that is very offensive to God, not because his, sort of his feelings are hurt, but because we're hurt. You know, his own children are hurt, and, and the, the married couple is hurt, and the child is hurt, and the society is hurt. So, con so the consequences of the contraceptive mentality have been dramatic, and many of them were predicted by Pope St. Paul VI in his uh, encyclical Humanae Vitae. Right. Um, and what, what we're seeing the effects of that today, including the effects in, in some of these discussions about IVF. Uh, how do you think we reclaim a proper understanding at large in our society, but uh, you know, of course, it always starts with the individual. But how how do we uh, kind of reorient ourselves so we look at marriage, at human sexuality, in that proper way? Well, I think w within the Catholic Church, we have this opportunity. Although maybe the sort of the wider battles have been lost for the time being, and kind of the culture is going in a certain direction, galloping. You know, but within the church, within our families, within our parishes, within our dioceses, our religious orders, we can have a strong sense of, of understanding the dignity of the human person and all that it, that, that implies. And when we understand the dignity of the human person and, and the love and the mercy that God has shown to even just have us and keep us in existence, we start to show respect for each other in a new way. Uh, and when couples then get married and are, are understand their role as cooperators, uh, you know, towards the common good, as cooperators in God's grace to generate the next generation of, of human beings, and of, the Catholic, of Catholics, you know, that they see in their own minds that they have, wow, this awesome responsibility, and they want to do so with great love and great um, kind of attentiveness to God's, to the plan that God has for us. And I think the, the revolution has to begin within, and when we understand ourselves and, and as Catholics and we understand what the Church teaches so beautifully about human life and about human sexuality, when we get that right, we become witnesses witnesses of joy and of hope to people all around us. And I think that's where the revolution starts. Father Carter Griffin, we have about 30 seconds remaining. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Of course, Josh, and may all of your uh, listeners receive the blessing of Almighty God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And Father, I uh, want to mention again your book, Cross-Examined, uh, which uh, talks about in vitro fertilization, talks about contraception, all kinds of different other questions regarding the faith. Best way for people to get that book? Oh, I think just by, by uh, you can go to Emmaus Road Publishing. Perfect. <laughs> or, or Amazon or anywhere else. All right. All right. Again, that book is Cross-Examined, Catholic Responses to the World's Question by Father Carter Griffin. Thanks for joining us for this hour. Again, if you joined us late, find the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Stay tuned. Mass coming up now, followed by The Faith Explained. We'll see you back here on The Inner Life tomorrow. Have a blessed afternoon.